Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rappay. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, I hate to say it, but 10 hours was just not enough recovery time for what happened last night. How are you taking it today? Um. All right, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people felt the same way too. I feel like you're not too far off of the <laughs> national Nova Nation reaction. It wasn't infuriating, but it, it, it just left <laughs> a very bad taste in my mouth. It wasn't infuriating because it was such – Baldwin shot was a uh, that that was something special. I'm sure that'll be used in every Big East promo from here on out, which is just absolutely wonderful. And you just got to tip your cap, I guess. But man, they had every opportunity to win, and they sh- and who knows what happens in overtime? God, they fought their way back. They got so close, and then they do that to to make a cross sport reference. It was like DJ LeMayhew's home run in the ALCS this year in game six to tie it up in the top of the ninth, only for Chapman to come in and give up the home run to Altuve. It was kind of like that. So are you saying we will see a Butler scandal in a couple months? Yeah, yeah. Clearly there's like a magnet in the ball that, you know, makes it go through the hoop in the last two minutes. They just flip it on, and that's why they're able, they were able to hit every shot toward the end, obviously. Ball wasn't inflated enough. Made it easier for to arc it. Yeah, yeah. We we we're, we're gonna we're gonna hear it all. We're gonna hear it all. <laughs> yeah, did Kamar Baldwin's shirt get ripped off? Maybe he has some form of a wire under him. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those where you definitely had to tip your cap, but it was just so. Uh, why? Just why? Why did it have to happen? Why did it have to go down like that? <laughs> Like the amount of times that they came back where they were trailing and then they would put together like a, a 10 2 run or like a 10 0 run and just crawl right back in it. And then it's like a, a shot for shot, basket for basket game. And then even at the end there, when Nova looked like they had that stop, and then Sean McDermott just came out of nowhere, swooping in, got the offensive rebound, got fouled. And then he made both free throws to make it a three point game again. And then we get that nice three-point shot from Sadiq Bey to tie it up at 76. And we're thinking, all right, it's got to be overtime, right? Like, let's get the stop here. I'm already thinking overtime. I'm like, all right, I got to go to the bathroom. Just going to wait and see how this plays out. Kamar Baldwin did a similar shot that he missed. He did the step back three, missed, and then that's what led to the McDermott offensive rebound. This time around, he did the step back. I thought it was pretty well defended by Colin Gillespie. There's not much you could have you asked for more on that. And then it just hit nothing but net. And I stood there and I sat there and I stared at my screen for 45 seconds. I don't even know what I was waiting for. I just stared at it, Chris. <laughs> I just stared at it. You stared into space, Eugene? I stared into space. I wasn't even angry. I was just, I, I had no words. I just, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know how to react. Yeah, it was a uh, speechless type moment. And to your point, Colin Gillespie defended that probably as great as you could. Like, even during the shot, I'm like, oh, great defense, Colin. And that was off a switch, which I believe was designed because they had – I forgot who flashed up top, but they had Bay, obviously, on Baldwin. But then someone flashed up top, and then it forced Bay to go with him, and then it forced Colin to go with Baldwin. And on the one he missed, Bay was guarding him. Now, granted, I thought he was more open on the shot against Bay than he was against Colin. But I guess that's the matchup they wanted, and then obviously he hit it. And, yeah, Eugene, I think your reaction was probably the same. Like everyone else's, just stare and just be like, oh, wow, that actually just happened. And then move on with our day-to-day activities. 
Oh, I wish it was that easy. I think I just sat there for about five minutes. <laughs> I didn't even need to go to the bathroom anymore. I probably just went right there. I blacked out. I don't remember. <laughs> you needed a diaper. Probably. I don't remember. I blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, you know, look, it, it is a regular season game. So it's not as brutal. Like if this was like March, obviously, like, the Sterling Gibbs one comes to mind in terms of last second buzzer beaters. And that was pretty bad. So like, I guess it makes it a little bit easier to take, but man, it's just the way that game went down and how great of a game it was as a, as a basketball fan, we'll get into the nitty gritty of how the offensive defense operated. But as a basketball fan, that was a fantastic game to watch start to finish. Oh and yeah. There, yeah. You just couldn't, you couldn't hate it. Like it was no. a very high quality game. There was a lot of back and forth action. Yes. A lot of star-studded performances. I mean, Colin Gillespie, Sadiq Bay, they pretty much carried the team. Kamal mm-hmm. Baldwin was great, but he had some nice performances from Bryce Golden and Sean McDermott as well. Bryce Enzi wasn't bad either. It was a nicely contested game. Sure, there were some things that we definitely would have liked back, especially including that buzzer beater. But for the most part, it wasn't like, oh, the refs were shafting us or, oh, uh, we could have done this better the whole time. It was a good basketball game, and it was good to watch, too. It was. I thought the refs got a little too involved in the second half, a little too involved. There was a little stretch in the middle of that half that it just seemed like every possession was called a foul. But otherwise, yeah, it was pretty clean. Yeah, not too many turnovers. You look at the Butler side, they only cuffed the ball up six times. The Nova surprisingly only cuffed it up three times. Final score, 79-76. Butler pulling off the upset. Kamar Baldwin was your hero. Overall, he wasn't shooting that great. And in the second half, he was only two of six. But, of course, he made the one that mattered to finish with 17 points, 5 of 15 shooting overall. He did grab eight boards. He also had three assists. Sean McDermott, after doing absolutely nothing, just being a human traffic cone, (laughs) <laughs> against Nova at the Pavilion. We expected a better performance from him, but I just wish it wasn't this good. 21 points, 7 of 8 on the floor, never missed a three-pointer. Nope. He had and, an inverse scoring line of what he had against Villanova in his first matchup, where yes. he, he'd only won, missed everything else. This time he ma- missed one, made everything else. Yeah, and he also grabbed eight boards. Including that eight. big offensive rebound. Yep. Bryce Golden. I don't know what it was, but they should have called the T. They should have called the Tech on there when he had a baseline slam, and yeah. he clearly pulled himself up. If anyone mm. else did that, they would have called that. He might be the new public enemy number one. That was he was annoying family. you. You were telling me, he, man. You were, you were annoying he, with him. He, he, was, he was annoying me. He thought he, was, uh, thought he was hot crap for a little bit, and uh, he was, like, shutting up and down the floor. And, look, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But it doesn't mean it's not going to annoy me. So – do what you want. I, I'm all for fun. But time and place guy. And, yeah, he uh, thought he was Brian Scalabrini, but he's more like Chris Humphreys, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Both Nets legends, obviously. Of um, course. Of course. He had that one layup attempt that was, like, really funny. He, like, went underneath and, like, tried to just, like, flip it back up. But I think it just ended up hitting the bottom of the rim and, like, kind of bouncing back off him. <laughs> I, I got a chuckle out of that. I'm like, ha, you deserve it. And then he also missed the front end of a one-on-one toward late. And I was like, good. You deserve every bit of this. But he played really well. and uh, He did. He did. Nine of something. 12 on the floor. That's, that's amazing yeah. efficiency. And 18 points as well. Yep. And he had a good game against Villanova at Villanova, too. Bryce Enzi added 12 points, not too much from the bench with Jordan Tucker surprisingly being ultra quiet. He played 23 minutes, only had two points, and they're both off free throws. Had four fouls, with foul trouble the whole game, didn't hit a single shot. And then we look at the Villanova side. 
There are only two names you needed to know, and that was Colin Gillespie, <laughs> who had 28 points, 9 of 19 on the floor, 6 assists. He looked fantastic on a harsh road environment. He shaked and baked Baldwin a few times. And then you had Sadiq Bey leading the way with 29 points, 11 of 20 on the floor, 5 of 8 from deep. He obviously had that game-tying shot, which was canceled out by the Baldwin buzzer beater. And then looking at the rest of the team, there wasn't much going on. Justin Moore started, and Cole Swider came off the bench. But Moore only had five points. Jermaine Samuels, two points, seven boards. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had nine points, only had four boards. And then you look at the bench. Surprisingly, of all the bench points and all the bench minutes, the most points scored off the bench and the most minutes played off the bench came from DCR. So a lot of people have been wondering where he's been. We got to finally see extended DCR minutes for this season. He looked okay in the first half. He wasn't that bad. He no. he had that. There was that one offensive rebound. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, who was that? Was that Bay? And I was like, oh, oh, DCR. Oh, hello, welcome, welcome. Yeah. But then in the second half, he got exposed and a lot of defensive breakdowns with him on the court. I'm not saying he was responsible for every single one of them, but the fact that he was on the court and that was happening, uh, not the best. What about Cole Swider's defense? Oh God, oh, dude, he he's. Ooh. I look, we didn't really talk much about him because they were winning a lot. But now that you've lost back-to-back games and he's uh, thrown up two duds, it, it might be time to start wondering what exactly Cole Swider is. Right, the past two games have not been good. Kyle Corver in disguise. Kyle Corver would at least go out and hit a couple threes. I was also shocked that Brandon Slater only played one minute. <sighs> yeah, I I guess so. I mean, me too. I, I would have I would have expected a little bit more minutes. That yeah maybe six to eight. <laughs> but again, I don't know if he really would have changed. I don't think he would have changed much. Yeah, the bench production hasn't been, as we pointed mm-hmm. out on the show before, the bench production, at least scoring-wise, has been pretty much of the Justin Moore show. And when you take him away from the bench, you move to the starting five. If Cole Smart is not hitting it, you're not really mm-hmm. going to get much out of your bench. But mm-hmm. I, did, I will say, you know, to DCR's credit, he played probably 10 of his 13 minutes were quality. Like they were quality minutes, especially with Jeremiah Robinson Earl getting two quick fouls early on in the first half. When he came out there, I know some people were probably a little worried, but when he hit a shot, made a free throw, had a couple offensive boards, I was like, oh, okay, he's, he's making the most out of his minutes right now. He's making the most out of his minutes right now. So, Chris, when you look at this game, <laughs> let's just take away the final possession. Let's just put that aside because obviously yeah. that, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. What else stuck out to you about this game? Was there anything else that you felt like, all right, this can be, this is good, mm-hmm. or this is also a problem? Um, the good is that I feel completely confident now in Colin Gillespie, like a hundred percent of the time. Like I wasn't sure if like this little stretch of his was like you know maybe just a flash in the pan, kind of like last year he would have his hot stretches, his cold stretches. I think. He's really become one of the best players, point guards in the nation. He's playing absolutely unbelievable. He was getting to the basket and blowing by Baldwin and making mince meat of him. He had every opportunity inside. He was hitting some deep shots too. Kept Villanova in the game when they were down eight, ten points in the, late in the second half and kind of spearheaded that comeback. It was just a beautiful sight to see, and it, just to see him develop into what he's become is just absolutely amazing. And you know, even though we were down on him early on in his career and even on last year, it's just been a fantastic turnaround to see. And then Sadiq Bay too. Obviously, like you said, like they're the two that carry the team with twenty nine and twenty eight respectively with Bay and Gillespie. He worked inside and was able to 
<laughs> he was able to get everything going. It was crazy. He cut to the basket, drove past a bunch of guys, had a bunch of opportunities with layups, was hitting most of them, which is, didn't happen against Creighton. So it was good to see him back on track and was hitting the deep shots too. We went five of eight from deep. That was crazy. He's been shooting really well from beyond the arc this year, but to hit two big time threes in the last minute, one of them that ended up tying it, it was really great to see. Some clutch jeans, some stones, some onions. That was That's cool. That makes me excited for March. The negative, though. Remember how last game and last episode, we were kind of saying that Villanova just couldn't get that offensive possession or that shot to get them over the hump on that comeback? Take the reverse of it. They just couldn't get the defensive stop to get them over the hump in this comeback. They did get the stop at the end, but Sean McDermott raced in for an offensive rebound and no one boxed out. And that was really disappointing to see. We've been lauding this defense since Big East play. I'd say pretty much every game, with the exception of maybe the Marquette game and the tail end of the Creighton game, this defense has been pretty damn good. Wednesday night, it was not. It was not good. It was They couldn't get a stop to save their lives. It felt like every time Butler had the ball, they were going to at least get to the free throw line at the bare minimum. If not, they would be hitting the uh, easy shot inside. There was a uh, stretch of possessions where there was uh, three three – possessions in a row where someone was left wide open underneath and that was just really discouraging to see we didn't we haven't really seen blown assignments like that at least underneath maybe in the corners every so often especially against Creighton but like this underneath was not really an issue and the fact that it reared its ugly head in this game was not encouraging it there was just bad switches missed assignments not a lot of strong defense on the back end Jermaine Samuels toward the end there was that one possession I forget who it was but took him to absolute school, faked inside, went outside for an easy layup and gave Butler, I believe it was a four-point lead. So it just seemed like everyone was kind of off their game defensively, and it, it showed up in the box score. Butler shot just under 60% from the field in total and 6 of 13 from deep. So Butler got their own way, and I don't know if it's a regression yet. It's just one game. I understand that, but hopefully this isn't a problem now. First, I'm going to touch upon your positives, and – First off, as we've said before, the Colin Gillespie hype train, it's taken off. Like, if you aren't already on it and if you still aren't bought in, I really hope that this really changed your perception of him. He's had some big-time performances, especially on the road. And to perform the way that he did, especially in such a tough place to play and in a tough environment like Hinkle Fieldhouse, with the leakage, with the fans, with the angry people, with Hinkle Magic working against you, he had such a great performance. And he just looked... In control with what he was doing. Sadiq Bey, when you look at NBA highlight tapes and things like that, this is one of those performances that is going to be pulled out. Like, yes, it was a loss, but he did his job. He really performed to a high level, hit his shots, and really came through as Nova was trying to crawl its way back in. Fortunately, it fell short at the end, but he was awesome. Now to the negative, the defense. Yeah, wasn't pretty. Wasn't pretty at all. Especially when you let Butler make nine of its last 11 shots to end the game. You're trying to come back. You're trying to salvage a game. Yeah, you're going shot for shot. But nine of 11 to end the game? That's way too much. That's way too much. And you look at the percentages. Once again, better second half shooting performance by Villanova's opponent. We saw it against Creighton. Creighton shot well in the first half. They definitely did. But in the second half, they shot even better. They shot over 50%. Same thing here against Butler. For the whole game, Butler shot 57.7%. And then in the second half, they didn't even kill us from the three-point line, even though I know that that last shot definitely felt like 30 points instead of just three. 
But overall, as a team, they shot 14 of 24, 58% on the floor. You're not going to win. You just can't win basketball games like that. And it was great that Villanova had the two man, a great two man showing from Bay and Gillespie because they definitely needed every single one of their 57 combined points. Because if you're going to give up that high of a shooting percentage and you're going to let Butler cook you, and it wasn't even just Baldwin, you know, you had Enzi. McDermott was on fire. Golden was on fire. These are the other guys. Sans McDermott, we know that he's one of the better shooters in the Big East, but Enzi and Golden, to have the performance that they had, to let all the other guys cook you, you just couldn't let that happen, especially on the road, especially on such a tough place to play. But now we're going to look to regroup back-to-back games. I don't even know when was the last time Nova lost three in a row. But I really hope that we can cut it off here. It's not going to be easy, though. We got a tough one. We got a tough one coming up. Yeah, Seton Hall is <laughs> – oh, boy. I said before going into the great game, this is going to be probably the toughest stretch of Villanova's season, and they have not answered the call. Now, I know they didn't play all that bad Wednesday night against Butler, and I know they had every opportunity to be Creighton, but come on now. Got it. You got it. You got to lock down. You cannot, cannot lose this game Saturday. Well, I think while we are lucky that the game against Seton Hall is going to be at home first, especially at this time. I would have loved that Temple matchup to, you know, just move it up a, a week. Just, you know, get those, those a bone here. Give us, give us a little <laughs> gimme here. Uh, nice little correction game, cupcake game. To, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice little, like, like oh, okay, yeah, we can still play defense. Or, oh, yeah, these shots go in. These shots go in. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would have been nice. But uh, the schedule makers said no, and this is uh, the end of hell week, I guess. Yeah, and as we saw last night, Seton Hall really bounced back. You had Miles Powell delivering another solid performance after doing nothing against Xavier. And then Quincy McKnight looked like he would have been done for the rest of the week. But he was dishing out assists. He came back. Turns out the MRI turned negative, And he was actually very lucky after what looked like an ugly knee injury in that last one against Xavier. So Seton Hall still got its top guys. And you got the other guys, too, as we'll get into it. But, Chris, never easy, never easy. Any last words for this last game before we move on to the Seton Hall one? Don't let this affect you more than it should. And I, I trust Jay and Wright. That, and, and yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a, a good one. Yeah, I trust Jay Wright and his coaching staff. to. If there's one thing he's good at, it's that type of mentality where don't dwell on the past attitude. Don't let this get to you. It is a hard-fought game. You put your heart and soul on the line. But remember, it's just a regular season game in February. You might see these guys in the biggest tournament in March. Get them back then. And then worry about seeing Hall on Saturday. You got every opportunity to make up for it. Don't dwell on it. It happens. It sucks. Sometimes you just get unlucky. And Villanova's been one of the luckier teams this year, according to Kempom. So I guess their luck just ran out a bit. But you got every opportunity to make it up. Don't dwell on it. Yeah, you can't have, you know, it's one thing to lose a game. It's one thing to lose back-to-back games. But you can't let this be the start of something really, really bad. And we're going to see how they bounce back on Saturday against Seton Hall. All right, next up for the Cats is a pretty big game. If you're a Seton Hall fan, this is your national championship, your Super Bowl, your world championship. This is everything combined into one. And you even get the beauty of having that twice a year, possibly three times a year, which is amazing if you're a Seton Hall fan. But for Villanova, it's just a game against the pesky Pirates. Sometimes they give you a hard time. Other times, you steamroll them. We don't know what's going to happen. They had a little setback against Xavier, a little speed bump, if you will. But they bounced back against the Georgetown Hoyas last night. And now they're coming in at 17-5. and 
Nine to one in Big East play. They're the top team in the conference right now. For Villanova, there's a chance to take it to the number one team right now in the Big East. Show them who's boss. Remind them that we still run the show here. You know, the Seton Hall fans, they love to talk. They hate Nova. I don't know, man. It's like Tom and Jerry. It's like Wiley Coyote Roadrunner. Like, they just can't leave us alone. Like, they just they just can't. No matter what happens, everything is just revolves around us. Yeah, they we live rent-free in their heads. That's for sure. I mean, we've mentioned it over the past couple of years that the only time they open up the upper deck at Prudential Center is for uh, Villanova games. And it's for good reason. I mean, it, it has produced probably some of the best games since Big East realignment, the, these two teams. You go back to 2014 Big East tournament, you had the uh, – God, what was his name? Who, who the heck hit that shot? I don't even remember. Sterling Gibbs. Sterling, Sterling Gibbs. Gibbs, right, right, right. You had – back in 2014, you had Sterling Gibbs hit that shot in the quarterfinals. Then you had the Josh Hart stomp game. You also had the 2016 Big East tournament game. You've had a few other close games in there as well. You had last year's Big East tournament final game. The year before that, you had the Josh Hart and one game to basically save Villanova from an upset uh, loss there. And 2017's Big East tournament, the, these teams always just seem to find each other in the conference tournament. But regular season games have also been very close as well, especially at the at Prudential Center. But not so much at Wells Fargo, though. And I think that's kind of why I don't feel as worried about this game, regardless of last night's performance. You bring up a good point, Chris, because ever since realignment, although Seton Hall has given us some tough games, whenever they come into Philadelphia, whenever they come into the pavilion, or whenever Villanova is the one hosting, they just get absolutely slaughtered. We saw that last year at the Wells Fargo Center. We came in thinking, oh, this is going to be a tough game. Oh, it's going to be a good one. And then before we know it, Miles Powell did virtually nothing. Seton Hall Pirates looked lost. It looked like we could have sent out Radnor High, and they could have beaten the Pirates. It was just a huge 28-point beatdown. Before that, at home, we won comfortably by 16. And then, of course, there was that 30-point beatdown at the Pavilion on the Martin Luther King Day Marathon in 2017, where Josh Hart... Chris Jenkins and company just slaughtered them, which is great because whenever it goes over there or whenever it's at a neutral site, for some reason, it's it's like they, they turn it on. But they can't really muster the same success on the road. And I can see why you feel pretty good about it. But at the same time, I don't expect Miles Powell to lay down another dud like he did last year. What was it? Seven turnovers, like eight points, nine points. Did yeah, nothing. He was a no-show. No show. Granted, the rest of the team was a no-show, but the, he was probably the most egregious of that. I don't think he's going to lay down easily in, like you said, the biggest game of the year for Seton Hall, uh, Big East-wise anyway. And it, he is a senior, and what would he not want more than to finally win at Wells Fargo, at Villanova, at something that Seton Hall has not been able to do since realignment. Yeah, and especially when you're trying to win conference player of the year, there's no better way to add that nice bullet point for your resume by beating the program that's pretty much been the golden child or the poster boy of success in the conference since realignment. And Miles Powell, he didn't do so hot against Xavier. So we've seen him look vulnerable. We've seen him be contained. He's coming in right now, one of the top scorers right now in the conference, averaging over 21 points per game, shooting over 40%. They did get Sanjo Mamukelashvili recently, and he's a guy, he's a big man who can obviously get some boards for them, help with the interior presence, and he can also stretch the floor a little bit. You know, outside of Powell, McKnight, and Mamu, is there anyone else that we should watch out for, keep an eye out on? Because there are a bunch of returners from last year, so 
anyone else who you think is kind of under the radar because Miles Powell obviously gets all the attention. Sanjay Mabukelas really gets all the attention for his name. But who else should we look out for? Well, you should definitely look out for Jared Roden. I think he played a pretty big part in last year's Biggies Championship game. I remember him being a thorn in the side of Villanova. He was hitting some shots that I didn't expect him to. I think he was one of those guys that was just kind of came out of nowhere. This year, he's averaging about eight, nine points per game. He's actually the team's leading rebounder, which is kind of weird considering they do have Mamu and this other guy who I'll mention next. But as a guard, he's averaging about six boards a game, so that's pretty good. Shooting-wise, though, from the field, it's not exactly the best from him. Under 30% from three and just about 40% from the field. Uh, I feel like his numbers could be a little bit better, but uh, he's still a viable option for Seton Hall. And Romero Gill, big dude. He (laughs) just has to stand there, and he will block everything and anything. 7-2 center from Jamaica. Uh, He's Kind of made an appearance every now and then last year. He wasn't really that much of a factor, but this year he's taken off, averaging a little under eight points per game and five and a half boards. I would expect that to be more, but I guess not. And he's got he's shooting about 63% from the field, so that's, uh, that's pretty good for the big man. And also one other guy I want to mention, and I remember saying the exact same thing last year about him, Miles Kill. I feel like he was supposed to be the guy that he was going to – supplant Miles Powell. He was going to be the Robin, the Powell's Batman, and it just never seemed to work out that way. He's still okay. He's averaging about seven points a game, four boards, but I feel like he should have taken off and like really been like double-digit point scorer. I mean, I kind of guess they found that in McKnight, but uh, I would have thought Kale would have uh, taken that role. Hasn't worked out that way, but he's still another viable option for the Pirates. Yeah, it really does look like that Quincy McKnight did overtake Kale, which was a little surprising to me considering how Kale was a pretty major guy. He he did really look like he was going to be that right-hand man to Powell. He did average over 10 points per game last year, shot over 41% on the floor, 37 from deep, which is pretty good. And he was a, another guy to help facilitate and help take care of the ball, ball handler. This year, they did find in McKnight. I also want to highlight Ike Obiagu, who... I know you said Romaro Gill, big boy, definitely a big boy. He stepped it up this year. But this guy, Florida State transfer, he had a bigger part in the rotation earlier in the year, kind of fell out of it, but he still gets minutes, still is a major part of the rotation, and he can grab boards and blocks. This is another seven-foot-two stonewall tower that they have inside. I don't know what it is. I guess Florida State gets all the big men. This guy was just the odd man out and then found his way to Seton Hall. This sat out last year. This year, he's eligible. He can finish inside, but although it looks like his minutes have dropped off since conference play, he's definitely one guy you should look out for. You can't miss him. No, that's for sure. In in limited time, he's averaged about a block and a half this year, which is pretty crazy. And I forgot to mention Romero Gill's numbers. I believe he's the leading block getter in the country right now. At least, I I believe he is. I got to just double check that. But he's averaging over three blocks. Which is insane. That's That's crazy. That's That's pretty wild. That is absurd. So getting to the paint for Villanova is going to be at a premium. It looks like they're going to have to go over the top of this game because the inside is going to be contained by those two and Mamu. Can't forget about him. And Romaro Gill. These guys don't really need much motivation or extra motivation to get up for a Villanova game. And I can see him being a problem. Just because. Just because. Of so, course, that's how it always works out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll spend all this time previewing Miles Powell, Miles Kale, <laughs> Quincy McKnight, and then before we know, it'll be uh, Anthony Nelson going off for a triple-double. Yeah, why not? <laughs>
this should be a really good one. What are you predicting? I know you feel pretty good. Give me your score prediction. Give me the difference. Give me a player to watch out for for Saturday. I do feel good about this one, regardless of Seton Hall's non-con schedule, which I guess we kind of glossed over, but uh, they've played a lot of close games and even had a couple of good wins in there. And because of that, uh, a lot of uh, posters, a lot of bracketologists, and even Kempom are taking notice. They are actually the highest-ranked Big Big East team in Kempom right now. It's for good reason. They're a very solid team. However, (laughs) them at Villanova is a completely different animal. And that's why I am going to go with Villanova in this one by four points, 75-71. Miles Powell has a chance to tie it at the end. Goes for the win with three, kind of similar to last year's uh, Big East Championship game. Bricks it this time, and Villanova is able to hit some free throws to ice it. And that's how that will go, in my opinion. And player of the game, I... I'm going to go with Sadiq Bey. He's got to – this is the time, man, for him to just completely go off. I'm all for him going off against Providence, and that's all well and dandy. But I think he's going to go off in this one. Big-time game, lots of scouts watching. Why not? Let him go. Let him be. Let him run free. He's going to hit some big threes. And, in fact, I think he'll get inside some more and get out of that little bit of a slump he's been having. So I'm all for it. Sadiq Bey. Yeah, this is kind of like Xavier. You know how, no matter how tough they might be at Cintas, whenever they go to Philadelphia, whenever they go to the state of Pennsylvania, it's just never a good time for them. Seton Hall seems to be going the same way. Is this the year that I think they break that and finally win one at Nova? I don't think so. I'm feeling pretty good about the Cats. If it were at the Rock, oh, please. <laughs> different conversation, different tone, but I'm feeling confident. <laughs> what? We'll talk about that when they play there in March. <laughs> yes, yes. But for right now, at home, it's going to be a popping environment. I like Nova at home here. I'm going to take them by eight, and my player to watch will be Jeremiah Robinson Earl. A lot of big boys, a lot of physicality down low. We've seen him come up against these big men and succeed. We've also seen him have a little quiet game, like against Nate Watson in from Providence. This time around, we got a lot of different moving parts here. We got Mamu, we got Gil, we got Obiagu. We're going to need them. We're going to need those boards. We're going to need the physicality down low. We're going to need them to lock these guys down, not make them that effective, and hopefully get second-chance points. Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, JRE, I would keep my eye out on him. He's going he's gonna to be busy. He's going to be real busy on Saturday. Yeah, that was one matchup I was thinking about uh, mentioning. But I, I kind of want to also mention, I'm assuming Colin's going to be guarding Miles Powell. I, I, is that a safe assumption? You would think that, right? I don't know. My, I was thinking maybe Bay or Samuels. Okay, all right. That's, that's fair. We have that's put fair. Bay on, on their top guys before. We have right. also used Colin, too. I mean, well, no, because I was just saying last year, I remember Phil Booth shadowing Miles Powell, and he was in his grill when Powell had the opportunity to win the game. Uh, and forced him to miss that shot. I'm just, I'm, I'm intrigued to see whoever they stack up on Powell if they're going to be able to contain him because it looks like Xavier had the recipe for that uh, in their last game against them. So uh, hopefully, maybe they look at the tape and kind of go with whatever strategy they went with. What if they use Cole Swider? Well, Eugene, I will run to the, my phone. 
I will go on the DraftKings sports bet app and I will throw my entire savings account <laughs> on Seton Hall. Oh, oh. I mean, I would have thrown my whole entire life savings on Seton Hall, but I think you could. There's definitely a prop bet, like over under how many points Miles Powell scores. <laughs> yes. I would, I would, um, I would throw it on that. <laughs> hard over, <laughs> hard over. Now I, I would never bet against Zorro, obviously. But yeah, it's, was, it's too hard. It's too hard. I don't know how some people do that. Yeah, I would never bet against my team. Regardless of how good or bad it looks, I would I wouldn't do it. I usually tend to stay away from bets or even fantasy players. Like I will never get anyone that I'm a fan of or like that's a that's on my teams that I enjoy because that just makes there's too much conflict of interest. Yeah, I would agree with that. Maybe for fantasy football, I, I kinda tend to not ever drafting like a Bears or a Vikings or a Lions player, but if I absolutely have to I would, but on my own team, I, I would do it. I've mean, picked a bunch of Packers players in the past. All right, if you're not going to be at the Wells Fargo Center, this game will be on Fox, 2.30 p.m. on Saturday. Definitely, definitely a must-watch. Definitely a good one. I'm excited. Chris is excited. Hopefully, let's get this win, and we'll see where it goes from there. We'll see where it goes. Now it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have out there for us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod. Ask us anything, and we'll discuss it on the show. Chris, we missed a couple last time from Jerry Quinn. Mailman, I guess, check that out. I want to hit that first before we get the new one. But the first two parts of Jerry Quinn's tweet, we, we have addressed that before. I just want to get the last part, which is not basketball related. Good way to break up the monotony here. Mm-hmm. And he wants to know, have you seen all the movies nominated for Oscars? Share your winners Ooh. and losers. Chris. Ooh. Movies. Right. Okay. Do we do we have a list? <laughs> I am sure we can I'm sure we can find that, yeah. I'll throw out some titles at you. I mean Joker, obviously that one received the most nominations. There's the mm-hmm. Irishman, which is a three hour epic, nineteen seventeen, once upon a time in Hollywood. Jojo Rabbit, Little Woman, Marriage Story, Parasite. Those seem to be like the most nominated to mm. movies out there. And mm. of course, there are a bunch more that we didn't touch upon there, like Pain and Glory, Two Popes, Beautiful Day in Neighborhood. Tom Hanks killed it. Mm. Bombshell. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. Toy Story 4 even got nominated. Oh, wow. I did not see that. Um, Oh, the best picture ones, though. I actually have a list up here. Ford, Ford versus Ferrari is in there, too. Uh, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and as a very big Quentin Tarantino fan, I loved it. I know a lot of people thought it dragged. Uh, and I'll even agree with you there. There were some points in that movie where I was like, okay, let's, uh, let's move it along, Quentin. But the ending. the ending. Oh, the, the ending was good. <laughs> the ending was good. I will give you that. I don't think I laughed so hard at a movie in like a very long time until that ending. That was, that was fantastic. And the only other movie I've seen in the best picture category, I just saw it this past weekend was 1917 and my, Oh my, that was that like, you know how you, you were saying that you just kind of stared into space after that Butler game. Well, I kind of felt that way after 1917, Uh, the way it kind of came full circle at the end, just the intensity of the entire movie, how you, basically felt you were with them the whole time that was one of the best films i've seen in quite some time it w- I, I hope that wins best picture i felt inundated with that movie and like when it ended i'm like oh wow i live in uh, the year 2020 i should probably uh, I'll, I'll open up my smartphone now and thankfully i'm not living in a trench and crossing no man's land delivering messages 
via hand. That was something. And we don't see World War One movies all that often. And it was it was great to see a war shed some light on that because I feel like that war is just not talking about. And I would have loved to have seen The Irishman. Um, I know it's on Netflix, but I just got, it's got some mixed reviews. You got to have three and a half hours ready. I know. Goodfellas is my favorite movie of all time. So uh, Scorsese, De Niro, and uh, Pesci, like that's like obviously that's that's Goodfellas right there. But um, I just haven't been able to commit. But all the other movies I hear are pretty good, though. Obviously, Joker's great. Jojo Rabbit, I heard, was fun. Yeah, I've been really slacking on my movie game this year, and I'm usually a big film guy, but ever since my favorite movie theater around me closed like a couple years ago, I've been slacking so hard. I think Toy Story 4 was the first movie I saw in theaters since Sausage Party for my friend's birthday. Not going to lie. That was like 2016, 2017, I think. 16, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, then right before that, the last movie I saw was Star Wars 7. I forgot what it's called. Force Awakens. That's what it's called. Yeah, which I enjoyed. I do. I do definitely want to see Joker. I definitely want to see 1917. I've actually been catching up. Like I'm actually a year behind on Oscar nominees. Like I was watching a couple movies that just came out last year that they were up for Oscars last year. This year I got to catch up because I definitely want to see Joker. I want to see that. I want to see 1917. I don't know if I can handle marriage story i feel like i feel like that's one of those where where you got to be in the right state of mind you might be just too sad like you don't want to be sad like <laughs> why would i watch a movie and be sad right uh once upon a time in hollywood i did see i thought while i do like quinta tarantino i didn't see why it was getting as much praise as it was getting i thought it wasn't it was okay i definitely agreed with you that the ending was definitely one of the stronger parts but definitely not one of the strongest the irishman i do want to see it's just it's hard to find a block where you can just focus for three hours three and a half hours i should say i don't know if this is going to sound weird or not but i feel like if that movie was released in theaters i would have been more inclined to go see it than if it was since it was on netflix oh i i 100 agree and also it would be a lot easier to watch because you're in that mindset where you have to focus whereas if you're at home watching on netflix you can there's there's too many distractions Mm -hmm. starting with your phone that's the first Mm -hmm. one but yeah, no, Jerry. I wish I saw more. I need to see more. I've been, I'm trying to catch up over the last couple of years. Like I said, since my favorite movie theater closed, R.P. Multiplex Cinemas. I've been slacking. I've been slacking on the film. Yeah, that's the one thing New Jersey's got. We got a lot of good movie theaters, like all like within one small radius here. <laughs> oh yeah, over here it's like they're they're just shutting them down left and right. <laughs> and the other question we have is from Fred Rung. He wants to know, is the bench discussion really as pertinent as we all make it out to be? Barring injuries, fouls, come March, we are playing seven at best. I'll hang up and listen. Chris, the bench, is this something worth talking about or something we can let slide and it'll work itself out? I think it's worth talking about because there's no production. And like you said before, like if you move Justin Moore to the starting lineup, the bench is practically non-existent. But to Fred's question, I guess, I mean, they're going to be rolling six guys. I think that's becoming slowly clearer and clearer. Like, yeah, okay, they they phased out DCR for 13 minutes last night, and mm-hmm. that's probably the most he's played in a while. But mm-hmm. I think it's pretty clear this is going to be a six-man, seven-man show at max. Right. And to that point, I don't think there's any discussion with that. Like, I don't think it's worth getting mad over, like, oh, Brian Antoine should be – playing more minutes or DCR should be playing more minutes. And, you know, maybe they should be, but it's not going to happen. It's just accepted. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Because if you look at it in the past, Jay has definitely done seven 
eight-man max, but mostly seven, his core seven guys he likes to turn to. But if you look at the quality on the bench there, very, very different than what we have this year. Now, it's not to say that these guys are terrible, but it's kind of hard when the expectation has been like, yeah, we, we make so much about Dante DiVincenzo's sixth starter. I'll even go ahead and stretch it. We had a seventh starter and an eighth starter. Like, we were rolling yeah. <laughs> on these benches from the last five years. Mm-hmm. And if you took some of those guys, they would have definitely started on other Big East teams and other college basketball teams. Unfortunately, right now, it's we're kind of locked in for what we have. We have a bunch of different specialists, I'd say, and not so much overall talent. Like, I think – Coach mm-hmm. Wider can definitely be good when he's hot, but if he's not, we see that you know it's gonna be a tough it's gonna be a tough night. He is a little limited defensively. Slater, he's got the athleticism, the quickness, but he's more of a defensive contributor than offense. And then you got DCR, who I don't know if this last showing is probably gonna warrant a little more minutes, but for the most part, the bench production has been next to none, unless if Justin Moore is going off, and right. there's nothing we can do about it. Like, we can put more minutes to other guys, but, like, I don't think it's going to change. No, it's not. Like I was saying before, if Brandon Slater was playing more minutes against Butler, do you think the game changes? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> well, is he playing more minutes for Cole Swatter? That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I guess in my theory, it would be taking away minutes from the starters. So. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but I, I understand what you mean. I, I get it. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the pod at View Hoops or State of the Nova Nation. I'm pretty sure if you look up either of them on iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, whatever is your favorite podcast streaming service, you should be able to find it. Please check back at View Hoops. Check back, check often. We're looking for writers, by the way. So if you think you're interested, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, shoot us an email, and Let's talk. Let's chat. Please be sure to follow VU Hoops on social media as well. Like the page on Facebook. Follow at VU Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And I'm Chris Tanziel. I got nothing still. Follow the pod. Follow Eugene. Follow VU Hoops. Nova Nation, don't take it too hard. It's tough. Hopefully this weird feeling will wear off in a few hours. Hopefully, definitely before Saturday. But it's onwards and forwards, and hopefully we can sink some pirate ships.